When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Cover Two Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover Two Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I kind of wanted to take a little bit of a. Like, kind of almost like a step back from like the the uh, the game to game grind of what's going on because I think Broncos country is kind of reaching this point where almost like I don't know I don't want to call it an impasse but it's almost like a like holy crap how did we get here um and I don't I don't I didn't have anybody better that I wanted to talk to the Tim Jenkins because again if you guys don't already know this Tim is a former quarterback he trains quarterbacks He's an NFL analyst. He has a YouTube page. If you guys don't follow that on Twitter and on YouTube, it is all things QB. And then he is also on Twitter at T Jenkins elite. Um, but yeah, just the insight that he can bring. I, I kind of wanted to pick his brain and kind of like get out of my own head on some of this stuff. Cause like I, I'm, I try to be objective, but I also, I'm getting as frustrated as I think most of you guys are. And so I, I'm hoping that if, if you're frustrated as well, Tim, that like we can kind of bounce that at least like not feel insane about it. But yeah. also like, I think like your perspective will help me kind of like level where I'm at with some of this stuff. Hopefully, hopefully I won't make it worse. I, it's, it, it's possible. It's totally. Um, but I mean, the big thing for me, and again, like if somehow listeners, if you don't know this, the Broncos started three, no, I I was quietly leading the they might be dark horse Super Bowl contenders if everything kind of starts to go right. And then you and I spoke right before Baltimore. And yep. at that time, 
I think both of us were quietly pretty optimistic. Um, Baltimore yeah. obviously was a, they looked like a Super Bowl contender then, but even then, like I was, there was ways I could see the Broncos figuring out how to beat them. Yeah. And then since then, like they, they lost to Baltimore. I wasn't even upset about it. Cause it's Baltimore and Teddy got hurt, but then the Steelers with big Ben pretty. And I would say pretty washed big Ben. Um, yeah. Then they lost to the Vegas Raiders right after they, the whole thing with Gruden. So like you would think that they're about as dysfunctional as it gets. And then they lost to Case Keenum. Like, like it's been getting worse. Like they're about to play Taylor, Tyler, uh, Tyler Heineke. I don't know if I feel confident they're going to beat them. Like yeah, what I, is going on? Yeah. I think what's hard is, you know, the three and zero start, it, it, it was kind of very rational to be optimistic because I think they were putting really good stuff on tape. I think maybe we, I, 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 you know, I don't want to say we, I know for, for sure, maybe I underestimated the impact of Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Yeah. And I think maybe it was pretty unrealistic to think, Hey, you're going to go in basically with two receivers and beat the Ravens. Yeah. Because ultimately the Ravens posed this idea to you that like, while the Broncos ran it effectively, you're not going to run it down their throat. Like, I think the Broncos ran it effectively because they didn't run it that much, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's, like, a nuanced conversation there of, like, hey, are you effective because you're not doing it that often, right? Like, there's, like, there's always that shot of, like, okay, are you running it just enough to still be effective? The Ravens ultimately are going to make you throw the ball on them, and then when you're down K.J. Hamler and Jerry Judy, I think it's I think that's a tough ask. Yeah. So I think maybe I was kind of, like, foolishly optimistic or maybe didn't understand the impact that those two guys were going to have. And then, yeah, I, I think the Pittsburgh game, you kind of look at and you go, man, if we'd have gotten something going earlier, then all of a sudden you're not kind of in catch-up mode. You could almost apply the same thing to the – I mean, I guess, to be honest, like Vegas was kind of like – they kind of just beat them, right? Like mm -hmm. it was like – it was – it didn't feel as close. I know it got close, but it didn't feel as close as some of the other ones. And then Cleveland, it was like, again, like, I mean, I, I was sitting there and I'm on Twitter and like rightfully so, but, but the world is on fire for Broncos country in the middle of the Cleveland game. And all of a sudden we're kicking off to them down three with five minutes left. If the defense just gets one, one stop, who knows? Like McManus, I feel like is good from 80. So, you know, you just get in a reasonable range and then all of a sudden you're in overtime and then anything can happen. So it's one of those things where it's like, but then when you add it all together and the fact that that's been four games in a row, like rightfully so, the the sky is falling for Broncos country and I can't blame anybody. Well, and, 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 and again, like you and I are probably going to zero in on the offense mostly, but, but I do want to kind of preface this all with, Honestly, the most disappointing part of this Broncos team to me is the defense. Like, in and, and, and part of its injury. Like, I I, I don't want to excuse Fangio, and I'm not. Like, honestly, yeah. at this point, like, some of the adjustments have been faulty. Some of the like, like, there's there's a lot to that. And I, and again, yeah. I'm not trying to say it's all Fangio. I'm not saying it's all injury. But I think both played a factor. And at the end of the day, most of us reasonably expected the Broncos to have a top ten defense. Yeah, I think that's what I found so interesting was I remember going on the DNVR podcast and I remember it was the day that Teddy got announced the starter and everyone on the panel was like, hey, uh, you know, it makes sense because you just got to score 14 or 17. Yeah. I'm like, we're really just 
we're just guaranteeing something before we've ever seen a snap of meaningful football. And again, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I knew it was coming because like, to me, it made rational sense too. But again, like that's what makes the NFL so challenging is on paper. You would think, man, this Denver defense, unbelievable. And you're right. Like you got, they got decimated at the linebacker position. Yeah. But I also sit there and go, okay, they got decimated at the linebacker position, but like, we're still getting gashed elsewhere. And like, we're still not getting after the, like there's certain things where it was like guaranteed get after the passer and guys aren't going to be open. It's like, I don't know if I'm seeing that. So to me, it's like, it's just, I do think we maybe overestimated. Like, I think it's a, you remember when, uh, this is like completely off topic, but you remember when LeBron went to the heat yep. and then people were like, they're going 82 and oh, it's like, well, we forget it's sports, right? Where yep. chemistry matters. And just because you have really good pieces doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to become a great team. And I think maybe we kind of did that a little bit with all the personnel we saw them adding. And then we kind of took for granted that you still got to go out there and do it. Well, and the other part of this too, and and this is kind of off in the weeds a little bit too, but this is also one of the arguments for like year to year consistency. If you're looking to build a long-term consistent playoff contender in the NFL, it makes more sense to build up your offense than to rely on your defense year after year, because one injury on defense can throw off the whole thing or and this may be part of the thing. And I, I'd have to go back and start to look, you know, around the league. But the other thing that I think a lot of us are kind of underestimating is the fact that Fangio's defense became in vogue this offseason. Yeah. Teams were hiring a lot of Fangio guys around the league. So, yes, offenses around the league were saying, well, we're going to see this a lot more. How do we beat it? And I think that yeah, also, also played a part in it. And I don't want to simplify defense because because people always hate, like, yeah. defensive guys hate quarterbacks when they're just like, oh, well. But it's like, yeah, like he came in vogue. But again, like we're acting like they like reinvented football by running cover six, like high school teams run cover six. Yes. You know, and I know there's nuance to what they do and they read things out a certain way. And like, I understand. But it's like, to me, at the end of the day, it's like everything, right? The second you see it enough, you're going to be able to come up with beaters. And as long as you call a good game, you're going to be okay. And ultimately, what we saw is pretty good, like not Case Keenum, but we saw pretty good quarterback play. Yeah. Like Derek Carr played a good game. Yes, he did. Ben Roethlisberger in his form that he's at now played a good game. Yes. Like Lamar Jackson, you know, played a good game. And then, you know, there was the whole debacle over them running for a hundred yards and, and like, you know, but to me, it's like, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you, like you're saying, it's, unless you're built on the offensive side, there are so many variables. Well, and then it's like, no matter how good your defense is eventually one day, like 12 for the green Bay Packers is across from you. And can you really stop him? Like if he's on and they're on, like, can you really stop him? Well, and, and, and the part of that, and I'm glad you touched on this too, because like during the no fly zone year, like yeah. Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and that Steelers team—not the first, not in the playoffs, because I know that that didn't happen in the playoffs. But the first time they faced each other, that offense lit up the no-fly zone. Yeah. So like, and that's kind of my point. Like, because again, like I don't necessarily think like teams figuring out Fangio is part of it. I think that may have helped a little bit. I think Fangio is not adjusting enough to the injuries, but I also think the injuries are a problem. And like you said, yeah. it's the linebackers. But it's also like the interior defensive line is not getting pressure like I thought they would. Yeah. In, in in the secondary, obviously, like Kyle Fuller is, was not what we thought he was going to be when he came in. And now they're adjusting to Patrick Sertan being a rookie, being their best corner. 
So like yeah. th there's so many parts to the defense, but, but I also agree with your, like what I, what I, I guess I don't agree. I agree with you, but like, it comes back to, you need to build up your offense. You can't in, in yeah. today's NFL, you can't rely on the defense being good enough to win you a Super Bowl. Like that's just, it's, it's a faulty rationale and it's, it's a bad process in my mind. Like you have to have an offense. I think it just happens every one, like every once in a while you yeah. see a team make a run. So then you really think, Oh, we can do it. Or you see like Tampa Bay win. you see Tampa Bay win the Super Bowl, they win the, they won the way they won the Super Bowl. But how did they win every other playoff game? Yep. Like that's the thing that it's like, you don't talk about because, or it's like new England, they won a super bowl six, three or whatever against the Rams or whatever that score was. And they're like, Oh, look how they did. But it's like, yeah, we forget new England scored whatever many points in the divisional and conference championship round. Right. Like it's like to make it all the way there without a competent offense is just, it's, it's highly unlikely. And again, you can't do it with an incompetent defense either. Right. But there is a middle ground of like, do I need to completely load up my defense or can I load it up in certain areas being pass rushers, right. And cover guys, and then somewhat survive the rest. It's interesting. It's interesting. But I do think, you know, just to kind of get back to just the, what we were kind of saying, it is kind of the most disappointing part. I think was we all went to the season thinking we're going to see really good defensive football. And unfortunately we've kind of hit a, you know, a fork of the road where it just hasn't been that. And it's kind of been, not only underwhelming, but kind of like, you know, surfacey defeating, like the Cleveland Browns come out and score on the first drive. And then what, I mean, like this kind of just pisses me off as a football guy, but you know, coaches say the way coaches articulate things is in a perfect scenario. The four minute offense, Joe was created to kill four minutes. They killed five minutes and 41 seconds. So whoever invented the four-minute offense is sitting there going like, these MFers got 50% more than I expected in the best-case scenario. And that's what kind of pisses you off about that last drive. It's like they're in four-minute O. There's no shot in hell you expect to kill six minutes, but they did. And it's like that to me is where it's like it's the punch in the gut of you know what's coming. You can't stop and it. And it's just like, golly, we you still can't get to a point where it's like, even force them into kicking a field goal. No, no, they're just going to kill the, they're going to literally take the air out of the ball. And I think that's kind of the most frustrating thing when I was watching this last Cleveland game. Same. And, and, and the worst part about it was, and again, like Dearness Johnson's a backup running back. Um, and I know that that's the big storyline case Keenan being QB two. the big, the big problem Denver ran into. And I underestimated how big an issue that would be was the offensive line. Like the Browns yeah. offensive line just, ground Malik Reed and the Broncos banged up front into dust. And, yeah. and again, I didn't think Wills was going to be healthy enough to be that effective. Uh, but I knew the guards in the center were going to be an issue, but like, again, I just, it was disappointing. Like, but, yeah. but I think to your point on the super bowl, and I think this is kind of a good segue of where I want to kind of go. This is like a, an overall thing that we do in sports, especially with football, because we have so few games. We look mm -hmm. at one game and we take out meaning of every single thing from the game. And a lot of times, and again, I'm not saying this is always the case, but a lot of times it's one game sample. Like, like in the Super Bowl last year, Patrick Mahomes gets beat to a crisp in part because he has no line. Yeah. Every other game that year, he had a, a competent, shaky, but a competent offensive line. But you take that away, obviously, yeah, the, the Buccaneers are going to be able to destroy him. And that happened all year. But 
this is also when you start to stretch that out into like a bigger sample, it starts to matter, I think. And that's where I think we're getting to because technically the Broncos offense by the numbers and stuff is actually outperforming the defense right now. Yeah. And that's, and that's like almost every measure you look at right now, the offense isn't the problem kind of starting to look into the details of it. And you and I both watch enough film that we both are seeing this mm-hmm. part of the issue is, and you've touched on it a bunch of times and we touched on it when we started, they're getting off to a really slow start. Yeah. And then usually what ends up happening is they kind of storm back late enough to make it close. But part of that is also like, and, and I don't want to just say prevent defense in terms of like Madden, because Madden prevent is literally you drop yeah. everybody way deep. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but when you're up by 10 plus and you're playing defense in the NFL, what you usually do is you start to use the clock yeah, as much as anything, because you know that they're probably not going to move the ball fast enough to score enough to beat you. And that's where the Broncos are starting to find a lot of success really late in games where they have almost no chance of winning anyway. Yeah, I think, and I think you posted, and I think Nick did too. Yeah. About the, like, when you take away garbage time, garbage time, you kind of see Teddy, and he slides back a little bit more. I do think it's it's such an interesting question because on the surface, it's like, this is what I was talking about. I talk about it with Shermer too. Yeah. On the surface of like everything, neither Teddy nor Pat, I think, are doing a bad job. It's like as you start to accumulate all these things, like if you do like a, you know, like a pro con list. Yeah. As you start to list them all out, then you look at the totality and you go, gosh, maybe he's not doing great. Like if you just watch, like even if you just watch Teddy's Browns game on the surface, there's a lot that was left on the table. Yes. And I think like one big misnomer, and this is something that I sometimes feel like I don't articulate very well if people only watch like one of my videos. Uh, Quarterbacks leave stuff, uh, every quarterback leaves stuff out there, right? right? Whether it be hey, he felt something in his face, so then he dumped it off. Whatever it is, every guy leaves scheme out there at times. The issue is, like, Teddy's starting to go from, like, in the first three weeks, it was like there was stuff out there, right? Mm -hmm. But it it was no more than, I think, like, Stafford leaves, right? And I think he's playing great ball right now. Or Aaron leaves in Green Bay. It, It was very similar. Like, hey, there were plays left out there, but... We get it. It's the NFL. There was someone in your face. Hey, the nickel got us off the edge, whatever it was. To where now we're getting to this this weird point where it's like, okay, now we're starting to leave a, like too much out there. And then we're starting to see these weird things where Shermer will call the same play four times. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like I'm watching it and I'm thinking to myself, I know what – like I think I know what he wants and it's to throw this and we're not until, okay, round three and then we're hitting it, right? So it's like – you're starting to see these weird things as an offense um, that I'm kind of like that's starting to raise my antenna. But again, it's so hard if you're not in those meeting rooms. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I pointed out the boot clip. I don't know if you saw that. I, I saw it. Yeah. Uh... About the boot. And it's like, but I also know how it's getting coached because I've been coached on how to play boot and I've been coached a couple different ways, which is, hey, top down. Only throw the flat if there's not a soul in sight, right? That's a more aggressive coach. I've also had coaches that said, hey, if you take the flat, you'll never be wrong. I'm willing to bet that Pat Shermer is telling Teddy, if you take the flat, you'll never be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And Teddy's sitting there going, okay, like I'll take the flat then. Because I don't really like boot anyways. Like who knows? He might not like – there's a lot of quarterbacks who don't like boot. So he's like, F it, I'll just throw the flat. 
And then Drew, like by and large in the preseason and stuff, we saw him drive the over, but that's a little bit of like, it's just a different thought process. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's hard to really penalize Teddy if he's getting articulated, hey, you're never wrong if you go here. Like, you know, I, I tweeted out that clip a couple of weeks ago about evaluating the Hank double curl. Is it a negative because he threw the Hank on third and nine? Right. Is it a negative because he threw the Hank when the curl was open? Or are you just saying, hey, you don't pass it up? Like it's there's so many nuanced conversations. It's just there comes a point where it's like, how many like things do you list out before it's on him or how many things do you list out before you go, you know what? We're not really articulating this well to our quarterback. Yeah. Cause to me, that's something that I have a gripe with too. A lot is like the jets just came out and said, Zach Wilson, they just leaked it to Mort. Hey, we don't like his footwork. It's like, well, who's been coaching him? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You don't like it. Fix it. Right. Like, I mean, you can't just leak something and then, Oh, well, it's not on us. It's on the players. I just think you either coach it to happen or allow it to happen. So it's really interesting when you when you look at kind of just the, the offense as a whole right now and, and and maybe some of why it's not been as effective as as it was in those first three weeks. Well, and I want to – so, and again, like, you, you see this better than I do. So I want to throw a couple things that – because I've tweeted some of these complaints out, and I want to just kind of throw it by you and tell me how crazy yeah. I am or if I'm overreacting because some of these I feel like other people are saying it, so I feel like I'm kind of like maybe I'm on to something. I know you yeah. and I talked about the ISO route before, so I want to touch on yeah. that. I have complained basically since Shermer was hired yeah. that I feel like he's over-reliant on isolation routes. And my interpretation of what that means is probably different than what yours is. But what yeah. I mean by that is like, and again, some of this works, but it's also why I th- this is a, you know neither here nor there. This is also why I thought Jerry Judy was the best receiver last year when Denver was looking for receivers because yeah. he creates separation by himself. But what my big complaint with Shermer's routes, though, and this really, really big in the red zone, is he doesn't use a lot of rubs. He doesn't really Mm -hmm. use a lot of stuff that helps, like uses a receiver to help another receiver get open. Like he doesn't use concepts to make easy completions. He dials up stuff that'll create high-low concepts, or he'll send out a guy on a route where he's going to draw coverage, and he can beat the coverage, and then he's open. But if he's not the guy that's creating the separation, he's not getting open. Yeah, he definitely – I mean, you're right. When you tweeted that, you what you said made total sense after, like, me and you talked, and you were like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's what I was – and it makes total sense, and you're right. I think he's more of a horizontal and vertical stretch. He's more of a motion to stack. Yeah. And then try to stress your box rules, like your banjo rules, instead of getting to stack to pick somebody. Yeah. You know, for me, I'm a huge pick play guy. I think me it's too. the best thing you could do. But yeah, I mean, it's a very fair point I think you're making about, hey, I don't think he's doing enough from a like, let me guarantee, almost guarantee a win. So yeah, I I mean, I agree with what you're saying from that aspect. I think it's spot on and that like, hey, they're not, they aren't rubbing. They're not really... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There, there's a there's a couple different ways that you can create like instant wins. Yeah. I would call it right. If you get the right look, you know, yeah. of course, they're in a different coverage. You're screwed with some of those plays. Like I think the 49ers are a good example of it because the 49ers create instant wins. But then there's also times on film where you look and they have three guys running a shallow and the defense checked to a different coverage and you're like, nah, I don't know where I'd go with it. Yeah. So there's the you know the good and bad with it. And I do think Shermer is a guy who who doesn't do that kind of stuff. Well, and to your point, that actually brings me back to a lot of the arguments. People, a lot of people are pining for Rich Gangarello. And I think yeah. part of that is because of what you just alluded to, where he comes from that mindset of I'm gonna try and scheme a guy open. Yep. But, and, and again, I'm not trying to like bury him by any means, but like when I watched his, his year as OC, when it worked, it looked great, but there was a lot more times where it was like, it looked like three receivers running the same route and you're like, yeah. well, what the hell's going on? And I and, think in yeah. back race issues, but the other reason I wanted to bring this up too, is because way back during the preseason, you and I talked about uh, what we were watching. And one of the things you mentioned during the a red zone trip, I want to say the Vikings, but I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. You were, you were, giving praise to Shermer for it. And I agreed with you. And one of the things you said is he's creating the win. So he's yeah. making it an easy throw for his quarterback. And, and, and to me, that's the biggest issue I have. I like, I can accept some of it, but like yeah. when you're in the red zone, you're having problems scoring. Like at some point you, you don't have Jerry Judy. You don't have KJ Hamler. You have two receivers who don't necessarily create separation consistently on their own. At some point to me, that falls on the OC to try and do something to help. Yeah, and I think like there's some real my my biggest thing is like you're a hundred percent correct. I think week one and week two ish, we saw Yes. Which is why what happened offense. And then I think we saw it regress and I like I have to assume that it was injuries because I have to assume that he just was like, dude, there's only so many things you can do from 12 personnel. Like, I think that's probably what he's thinking, or he's like uncomfortable. Like I've seen him on, there's a couple of times where they're trying to run like samurai and stuff Yeah, from two tight ends. And you can tell he's like trying to figure out how to do it. And it's like, dude, just do it. Don't figure out like who cares how slow that stick at a post is just have somebody on it. And like, I get that he's like, you know, like, trying to figure it out, Galaxy with level, it. With, you know, Hey, I don't have the guys that I thought I was going to have. So that's where for me, it's like, man, it's kind of frustrating, but at the same time, like I can excuse some of that stuff. The stuff that's frustrating to me is like, okay, so they motion a stack against the Browns when they throw the touchdown to Melvin Gordon. Yep. It was a great football. And then Melvin does a pretty good job just winning and getting to the goal line. Mm-hmm. But I draw on there and I say, Hey, I don't know if you watched the the, I did. the I did. Again, but I, I said, hey, Pat, if you're watching, next time send this guy on a corner. Yep. The thing that was kind of frustrating for me when I watched that clip was we ran like a sit route and then an in route behind it. Well, and then we had a flat route. Well, defenses against bunch usually check box, right, or triangle where they have an in and out guy and then a point guy too. You essentially gave them a route in every zone so it's easy to cover. Like <laughs> – the point of forcing someone into box or banjo is to then attack the outside twice, right? Or the inside twice, because if, if you have, you know, one guy for the inside, one guy for the outside, Hey, if I send them both out, I win by leverage. Yep. So to me, it's like, I can excuse the, like, Hey, we're not, 
we're not as creative as we were in the preseason in weeks one and two because we lost two of our best players. Yeah. Where I where I have a hard time is like I guarantee the Cleveland Browns, if you watched them, if you watched all their film, their bunch check or their their stack check is banjo. And if you know you're getting that, draw something up for it. Like I, I think coaches do this a lot. And I, and again, I'm not saying Shermer does this, but a lot of coaches I've been around are be like, hey. You know, 80% of the time when we get into this formation, they're in this coverage. And then there's someone in the meeting room who goes, well, what if they're not? It's like, yeah, okay. Like, it's like the guy who's like, you know, tomorrow when we get into the office, these are the three things we got to get done. And someone chirps, what if I die on the way in? Well, yeah, what if? I don't know. But, like, let's play the 80% game. And then coaches start chasing ghosts and now thinking themselves and then they get to the game and guess what they get they get the 80 percent coverage but they have a pretty okay play versus like let's just have a home run against the 80 percent yeah and then let's work this backside combo you know if all of a sudden they give us a different look so to me i think i i could see a world in which like losing my top two receivers would get me to start to question just about everything when i'm installing it mm-hmm. and you know i wonder if that's where he's at headspace wise and that's why I tweeted out. I said to this week, I said, listen, the Broncos need a game plan at quarterback. Yeah. And to me, like, I know a lot of people are ready. We got to move on from Teddy. I'm not ready to fully endorse that yet, knowing that Jerry Judy's coming back. Yeah. But I would be willing to put him and Pat on the clock of saying, like, listen, Jerry's back. Let's get two weeks. Let's figure this thing out. Because if the offense still looks anemic with who I think is probably one of the better receivers in the NFL back, and again, we got to figure out what he's at, right? Is he at 100% or 70%? Then there's a real discussion to be had. It's hard for me to like fully endorse, let me sign off on benching Teddy right now when it's like, man, we've been living in 12. He's been hurt. Like if after the next two weeks, like I think anyone, any rational football person – if the next two weeks with Jerry Judy back and Teddy more healthy looks like the Browns game, like you got to move on. Yep. But I just, I have a feeling that having Jerry back is going to help not only Teddy, but I, I really think it'll help Shermer too get back to some of the stuff that we saw when we were getting pretty pumped up this preseason and, and weeks one and two. And I think that's a good, so I, I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to just come off as like, I'm trying to pick it apart, but I have a couple things I want to just discuss with it. Because yeah. the first, the first, the first big, I, and, and again, like, I think I told you this, but I actually said that it, it would make sense to bench Teddy if they don't have a long-term plan for him. Cause at this yeah. point, like, cause, cause realistically the Broncos are at a point where they have something like a 19% chance at the playoffs, like realistically. Yeah. And again, like as a coach, I say we have 19%. We have to keep trying to win every game. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But if you're the GM and you, you you know, you're trying to be the adult in the room, you have to say, we're, we're chasing a ghost at this point. Like, are we going to make the playoffs? And if we're not going to make the playoffs, you then look, who am I looking to keep? And to me, it was like, if you don't plan to keep Teddy Bridgewater around and extend him to be like a bridge guy or a, a stopgap guy next year, maybe see if you can get something for him. Um, And again, the yeah. very well, maybe not at all. Like I have no idea, you know, yeah. but, but to me, the, if you're going to keep him, to me, the big issue with benching him, and I know, like, again, like, I watched, I watched your video. I would, I want to say almost an about an hour before I came on with you. Yeah. So, like, it's fresh, it's fresh in my mind. 
all the things you're pointing out, like I was seeing those things, like you articulate it like hundred times better, you know, than me, but I'm like, there's these missed throws where I'm like, what the fuck is he seeing? Yeah. And, and it's just happening. And I, and it's happening more in the last couple of weeks. It really has. Yeah. But at the same time, and again, you watch this as well. My concern is I don't necessarily know if Drew Locke's going to be better. And I don't yeah. see that rooting. Like, I hope if they go with that, he is yeah. obviously. And I think his arm talent clearly will be. So like the, th- the, the pick into the end zone, I agree with what you said on your video where Drew has the arm to get it there. Like, there's no doubt yeah. in my mind he can get it there. The questions I have with, with Locke and, and again, like this is for those that have listened, this is, you know, old news. I feel like he doesn't process as quickly as Bridgewater mm-hmm. does. His poise under pressure is more of an issue where if he starts to get hit a little bit, he starts to panic a lot more often. Yeah. Um, and he'll bail out of clean pockets, which is an issue. Yep. And then because his mechanics are up and down as much as they are, there's times he'll miss a guy that is standing right in front of him. Yeah. Um, and Bridgewater, Bridgewater has misses. Like I'm not, again, I'm not saying Bridgewater's perfect. A lot of people are trying to say I'm a Teddy Stan. It's like, guys, I wanted Aaron Rodgers. Like, don't let's not get this wrong. <laughs> um so I don't think Bridgewater is necessarily like infallible by any means, but I just like, if you're trying to chase wins, I really have my doubts that Locke is going to be an upgrade unless yeah. Bridgewater just continues to fall down this hole that he's sliding down because he's also banged up. And if he's going to continue to get worse there, it's not really a question anymore. Yeah. I come at it. I come at it very, I would say very similar in that. Like I do think as a coach, you're just going to play whoever you think gives you the best shot to win. Have to. The only alternative I see to like the Drew situation is if he plays, even if like, you know, it'd be cool if he came in and played at like a great level, but even if he played at a better level than last year or to where someone, it piques someone's interest. Yep. I think ultimately what you get from there is maybe some capital, like maybe Seattle is more willing to do something or yep. Green Bay. If all of a sudden they looked at Drew and thought that, I'm not convinced this guy's a superstar, but like, does he help our quarterback room? Like, uh, you know, and, and he would obviously have to come in and, and play different than he did last year. But if you think of it, best case scenario would be he came in and played similar to he did down the stretch last year. And if that were the case, you could maybe drum up some interest with him too. And wh- yeah. whatever it be through draft capital or, or however you do it. Although Broncos country would probably lose their mind if, he played relatively well and then you traded him. But I do think that's kind of where for me, I came at it from like, that's why I was really, Hey, two more games. Cause there's a real shot, you know, I'm not trying to bang the table for this, but if we're all of a sudden three and six. Yeah. You make the move then. There's no, there's no doubt. You just make the move because there's, there's no reason not to. I mean, but then again, right. Two more games. Now you're five and four. Okay, that's different, right? And that's to me where it's like, I just think you kind of got to give, to me, it's not only giving Teddy, it's giving this coaching staff, really. Yeah. Because the second they fall to three and six or whenever they're mathematically eliminated, who knows what happens? Yeah. And to me, it's like, if they believe Teddy's their best fighting shot, I think you got to let them, you know, it's a famous saying, right? You got to kind of like, you know, let people give them enough rope to hang themselves, right? Like, it's like, you know, I I hate that saying now that I said it, but like, it's like, it's it, it just you you give them enough to where it's like okay i didn't step in here like i don't feel bad moving on from you is kind of if i was george if i was Patton, if i was peyton that's how i could see it is like yeah. hey i didn't step in 
I let you guys go do what you wanted. You, you know, here's what you said you wanted and needed. And I went and got this and this and this for you guys, we got to move on. And I think that's a, a really fair way to do business or the business of football. Um, I which do sometimes isn't always the most fair. No. And I, and to your point, I do agree with you. Um, the, the, the reason I am, I'm at a point, and again, like I totally understand playing Bridgewater two more games. So I, I don't agree, disagree with it. The one conflicting kind of issue in that is just that the trade deadline is November 2nd. So yeah. according, according to the deadline, if the Broncos are going to make any sort of moves, they have to do it after the Washington game, but before Dallas. Yeah. And, and so like it creates this awkward situation where like if Denver loses in an embarrassing fashion to Washington, to me, I will, and again, I apologize in advance because you'll probably have to deal with it, but like I will probably be pretty vocal that the Broncos should sell because I'm at a point right now knowing yeah. that the Broncos have such a small chance in the postseason and knowing, again, the Broncos have like 33, I want to say 33 contracts that expire after the season. And these are yeah. big guys like Vaughn Miller, Melvin Gordon, you know, like the big names. And it's like, if you're not bringing them back and like you're three and three and five at that point, when you have a chance to sell, if you're not bringing them back to me, like someone will probably give you picks for Vaughn Miller. And again, yeah. I say this as somebody I have gone in fights with people, but that the Broncos should never trade Vaughn Miller. Yeah. Like I don't say this as somebody who wants it to happen, but from a, from a GM perspective, you're in the first year of a six-year plan. Odds are basically everyone else, like all the other big names, probably aren't coming back next year. John Elway, yeah. Joe Ellis, Fangio, like all those guys. You got to do what's right for the team. And to me, if you're going nowhere, try and get picks. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because I saw a bunch of guys talking about this on Twitter, and then I was yeah. trying to follow the conversation of compensatory and all this. And I'm like, I'm too stupid to understand this. <laughs> I'm like. I feel like that about like my life in general because I like don't understand how a roundabout works and people keep tweeting at me and they're like, so you can break down every NFL team, but you can't, but you can't just yield to the left. I'm like, I guess I can't. But, that's, that's me so. and cooking. I can't, I can't, I burn cereal. So, yeah. <laughs> but I do think, you know, I, I don't know how the compensatory formula works, but I do understand, like, I do understand what you're saying, which is, Hey, if they drop to Washington and you get some good deals, it makes sense to move some players, especially if you're going to try to rebuild it, right? Like you're saying, if you got a six-year plan, years one and two aren't always so pretty. The, the thing that'll be interesting, though, and this is what, like, it's just like, this is just so fitting for Broncos country, is the way that you would kind of drum up probably the most interest for Teddy is if he goes out there and balls out against Washington. Yep. But then now it's like we're four and four. Yep. A guy just had a great game. And again, Judy's I don't back. know how people react then if you deal him, right? Like, yeah. it's like, but then again, if he goes out there and throws three picks and they lose to Washington, no one's there's gonna not going to be a market for him. So it's well, it's so weird. You know, it's, it's funny because I had a college coach tell me the difference between the NFL, right, in college is if you hate a player or if you don't like the way a guy's playing in college, you bench him. In the NFL, you play him more so you can trade his ass, right? So it's like one of those things that it's like, yeah. it's just so fascinating kind of what would happen if the Broncos based on their philosophy, either bought or sold at the deadline. And I do think, I don't think there's like a quarterback move to be made yeah. for an upgrade. I don't think there's like a trade deadline that you're going to go out and get someone who's going to come in and like be anything more than kind of, we've seen like the recycled guys or a guy who can, you know, play in pretty good spurts. Like we've had guys play in good spurts. It's just the consistency 
game in and game out where we've lacked, which which unfortunately is 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 what you need to win in the league. Well, and that's so there's kind of two parts to like that I want to kind of touch on is like first of all, I think you and I agree because again, like we're at a point where like realistically for listeners, because I know a lot of people have talked to me about this, like we're at a point where if the Broncos drop another game like this next game, they're kind of at this point where like you're kind of irrelevant in terms of like the postseason discussion, all that stuff. And so at that point, like the argument about quarterback is going to probably turn back to like preseason mode, like it's already yeah. starting to happen Yeah. to me. Like, and again, like, and, I've, and, I, and again, I'm part of this problem. So like, I, I'm not innocent in this and I know that to me, like I see Teddy Bridgewater as a better player than what we've seen from Julak. That doesn't rule out yeah. the fact that Julak can be better, yeah. but like, but being as sober and like objective about this as I can, like realistically, I don't think the Broncos next franchise quarterback is on the roster. And I didn't at yeah. the beginning of the year either. Like, to be completely honest, I thought Bridgewater, if he played really well, could be the bridge to a rookie. If you're going that route down the road. And if not, maybe he's somebody you could use as like leverage to trade for, you know, whatever. Um, and that's why I do agree with your point. Like if the Broncos fall to three and six, or even if they fall to three and five and Bridgewater looks lost, it makes sense to go with Locke just because Locke is on a rookie contract for one more year. Worst yep. case scenario, if he looks good, you have either a guy who can be your quarterback next year or the guy is serving as a bridge or you can trade him. Worst case scenario, he tanks and he helps you get another quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I think like, and I think that uh, the, the, it's just, there's so many dynamics at play because the reality is too, though, is if Drew comes in and does relatively okay, yeah, like it's the same as Teddy, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, why were you not playing him the whole time? Yep. Like, like if you're, if you're Shermer or Fangio, this is just like my honest take. If you're Shermer or Fangio, you need him to come in and be noticeably worse than, than Teddy. Yeah. Otherwise, Otherwise you look incompetent because like if, if I were to say, Hey Joe, they're both going to give you the exact same numbers. You just pick drew because of his contract and he's younger. Yep. Well, and it, it goes back to something you and I, again, in the preseason, at one point in the preseason, I think, again, I think it was right after the Viking. It was either right after the Vikings game. I think it was right after the Vikings game. I, and again, I might have wrong. Like time starts to blur in my brain. Yep. So I apologize. <laughs> but, but I think you and I both were talking about where they're at right now. If they are really 50, 50, you go with Locke. And I yep. agreed with you. And I, and I, and I held on to that until it started to look like Locke was not to me. Yep. And again, like, if they are close, it made sense for Locke to play the whole time because first of all, you have that contract, but also he's younger and he could potentially get better. So like, yeah. I, it's not that I don't agree with those, like those thoughts. I think that that's like, I think the, the idea of him becoming a good quarterback is a low percentage chance, mm -hmm. but that's not to say it's a, it's a 0% chance. Yeah. And especially if your season's lost, I do agree with you. Fangio and Shermer, if they make a quarterback switch to me, they're done. Like they know they're done. Like that's yeah. part of the reason why they're probably hanging on to Bridgewater through the injuries is because yeah. if Locke comes in and looks good, they look dumb. But if Locke comes in and looks noticeably worse, it's going to be a quarterback controversy and they're going to lose games anyway. It's the only thing that like rat, like logically I could walk away from like the Cleveland game yeah. saying like, especially when Teddy. So when you, when you're a player and you say you're at 70%, you're not at 70%. Players don't like players aren't sitting there overestimating what they were at or no, they are right. They're sitting there saying like, no, nah, I was good. I was like 70. Like those, if, if you say that, that MFR was at like 50. 
The only rational take for me is that like, and it's not that I think they're trying to like. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like, hurt Drew or like, I'm not like a conspiracy theorist, but it's like, for me, the rational take is if, if I play this other kid and he does relatively decent, like I have a nightmare on my hands then. Yep. And, and like, I get it. I'm not going to sit there and like beat him up. Like I get it. But I also think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, like, listen, I like, I'm not trying to call people out or I'm not trying to like do anything crazy, but like, I see it when PJ gets in, mm-hmm. like, PJ gets in at the fourth quarter, like with the last three drives of the New York Giants game, and Joe Brady dials up Flutie and and four verts against cover four like nine times. I'm like, I mean, my my son knows it's not a good look against that. So I'm not saying that I think Joe Brady's trying to hurt PJ, right? But I think it's one of those things where it's like, all right, let's call our chunk plays, let's let's figure it out. It's not, it's not like a real like. Let's craft this around their skill set. Yeah. And that's where it's one of those things where it's like you kind of wonder how much like there's always something at play. And I think it's kind of a hard thing when you're looking at the the future. And that's why I almost feel like if Drew were to play, it comes as a part of a bigger overhaul. I think you so know too. what I mean with the staff and everything, too. And and I and to your point. I was really shocked. And again, like this, this is going to sound, just trust me to back when Jake Cutler was drafted. Like this is, you know, way back when Jake Plummer was just coming off AFC title game, but they switched coordinators. They, they went from Gary Kubiak 2005 to Mike Heimerdinger in 2006 and, and he's dead. So I apologize. Like, I'm not trying to like, you know, talk bad about him this way, but I remember reading in a book about it, about how Heimerdinger, didn't do as much to help Plummer as Kubiak was in part because for Heimerdinger, it was better for him personally if Cutler ended up getting in because as a coordinator, if you help the rookie look good, you're on the fast track to getting a better job. And, and I agree with that. And that's why, okay. So (laughs) I don't want to like, I feel like I have like a tinfoil hat. No, no. Hey, listen, listen to what's going on. But I agree with what you're saying. And that's what kind of weirded me out not weirded me out, but that was the one thing that I didn't understand about the Shermer move. Cause if I was in Shermer's shoes, my thought would have been if I can get drew Locke to play at a good level, I'm walking into a head coaching job. Yep. Like if I can take this kid who looked like this last year, and then because he has an off season with me, I get him to a good level. I am waltzing into the next head coaching job that I want. Like, why would he not have then been an ideal candidate for Chicago? Yep. Like, no, hey, look what I just did with this kid. I just developed him. Like, he would be walking into any quarterback developmental situation. And then it was like, then going with Teddy. That's why I was like, I th- this doesn't make sense for me from Shermer's perspective. Because it's like, now it's just like, we expect a seven-year vet to play good. He's not playing good. What's going on? Yep. Like, that's kind of where I think everyone's head's at. Well, and that's, and I think that's a good 
it, it's a good question. And I think it's something that like Broncos fans should think about because I think that that is, again, like we were told that this was a 50, 50 competition and I've, I've said it on Twitter multiple times. I don't think it was a 50, 50 competition. I might be wrong. Yeah. I, I know we're, cause again, like coach speak is a thing. Like, and I know you yeah. know this, but to our listeners, like Fangio is not going to say so-and-so looked like dog shit. Like he's going to yeah. be like, so-and-so looks good. Like, that's just what yeah. they do. But, but to your point, like, I think your question, there's three potential real answers. One, Shermer, like one, Drew Locke didn't look good enough that Drew, Shermer thought he could do it. Yeah. Two, Locke looked okay, but Shermer had no confidence that he could do it. Yeah. Or three, Shermer didn't actually get the final call on that. Yeah. And I think any one of those three is plausible, but I think that it's one of those three. Yeah. And I, I do think that there's, I do think there's something to be said about like old scar tissue. Yeah. Right. Of like Fangio. And if there was enough scar cool. tissue from last year, feeling like Drew was throwing some games away for him, yep. that it's like, like no matter what the kid did, sorry, bud, like yep. not happening. Well, and I think it's that, comb- like, I think that is part, I think that played a part in it. And I also think like, and again, you and I have had this con- like a conversation about this, but you mentioned that like when Teddy Bridgewater came in, Shermer probably looked at him as like a collaborator, like somebody he could talk yeah. to in a room about concepts and stuff. So I think like Fangio probably favoring Teddy mm-hmm. and then Shermer having that. And then like their performance was close enough that the coaching staff felt more comfortable with Bridgewater. And I don't and I, I think I would be willing to bet that the coaching staff didn't really think that like Drew's preseason play was going to translate. Like I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were sitting in there going like, like he looks good right now, but when KJ's not wide open, How's he going to look like that wouldn't surprise me. Um, and then it's unfortunate because the fact that they are like, you know, the seats boiling yep, makes them even less likely to make a move. Like I really believe if they were in year one, yep, that they would be way more willing to make a move. Cause it's like, we've got time when you're kind of boiling. It's like, God, like you almost are, you're, you know, it's one of those doomed. If you do, you know, screw it if you do screw yes. it if you don't, because if you don't make a move and you lose, you lose. If you do make a move, you lose, you still lose. But if you win, you kind of lose too because you didn't play this kid at the in the beginning. Cool. And it's just like there that's there's just a lot of under there's a lot of things under the surface when it comes to the quarterback decision. And because QB play is so noticeable that it's like, you know, if you didn't start the correct right guard and you make the switch, very few people even know, yep. right? Any fan that doesn't that pays half attention to the Broncos would know if you switch the quarterback and then you won. Like it's just so different when you're looking at like making moves at that position. Well, and that's so there, there's kind of two parts to this I want to touch on. The first one that you mentioned with the timing, I think it's important. I think it's something that listeners should kind of think about too, because in a lot of ways, basically since Paint Man retired, paint. Basically, since Peyton Manning retired, the Broncos have been like an example of shit timing. Um, yeah. they, they drafted Paxton Lynch in 2016 because they had him, even though they knew he was a bust, like, and they did basically all reports out of camp that year, they knew almost immediately they didn't draft anybody in 2017 and they should have like, and everybody oh. knows they should have. And then in 2018, they get Keenum. They have a chance at quarterbacks. They have a chance at Lamar, Josh Allen and Josh Rosen. But they have Keenum and they still have Paxton. So they, they they roll it out for another year. 
And then they ended up in a 2019 class. And again, like I'm lower on lock. I was low on lock coming out, but like, but the timing of when they did the quarterback moves to me and like yeah. on that same note, they hire a first year offensive coordinator that the coaching staff turns on halfway through the year and they out Rich Gangarello. And so you create this dysfunction for the quarterback that you drafted to potentially be the guy. Yeah. And whether, whether you think Locke was going to pan out or not, the, the way they approached it to me is wrong. And the process, like, yeah. and, and again, like, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Fangio when he was first hired. He said that, like, no more death by inches. But, like, when you go back, and again, I'm not trying to damn him, but, like, when you go back and look at a lot of the things that he's done since he became head coach, it's almost all death by inches. Like, they yeah. hired Rich Gangarello after a year. They hired Tom, like, they kept Tom McMahon the whole way through. And honestly, if there's anybody who's a definition of death by inches, it's Tom McMahon. <laughs> Like, like, but I mean, it's, it's up and down the board. Like it's, and again, like I, I, I came into this season and I still want to give him, you know, a fair chance. Like if I, I like, yeah. it doesn't help the Broncos in my mind. It doesn't help you this year to fire Fangio right now. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody coming in is going to suddenly turn you into a playoff contender. Yeah. And that dysfunction is probably going to create an issue in the locker room. So like, I'm, I'm not necessarily out on Fangio in the middle of the season, but I'm at a point where like, I have no problem moving on at this point because it doesn't yeah. seem like he's learned from the mistakes he's made in the first two years. And I, I wish that wasn't true, but it, it just, you see it. Yeah. The timing thing makes total sense. What you're saying too, of like, Hey, listen, there's been draft class that have been better than others, but you had a guy. And then all of a sudden now you're looking for a guy in a class that isn't considered that great. And the thing that I think is specifically frustrating, I think, I think what also frustrates fans when they evaluate drew is that, he is uber talented. Yes. Like no, no one watches him make throws and thinks, ah, this kid can't do it. So it's one of those things that then to me, that's kind of like a compounding indictment on the team. Yep. Because it's like, you know, I do think one of the hardest things to train is decision-making, which yes. would be the argument that there are certain things. But at the same time, it's like, it, when it comes to what you would rather have in the world of development, you want a guy who's talented. Well, and so it's like, it's kind of like a double indictment of like, you had this kid who you kind of, you, you know, some people would say you stole him in the second round, right? Because there were people who were like high on him as a first round quarterback. So if you feel like you stole him and then you didn't develop him or you, you did what you're, you know, to me, which is the worst thing you could do, which like, even if you're a bad offensive coordinator, two years with him is going to make you better, yeah. right? Then like one year with him and then learning a new thing. So to me, it's like, man, it's just, it's, it's not a great look overall for the staff, uh, not maybe the staff, but Fangio. Well, and to me, and, 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 I, and I, if you have to coach a guy's decision-making again, you know, this better than me, but like, if you're, if you're trying to train a guy's decision-making, it would make sense to try and like, give him some degree of consistency yeah. with the decisions he's having to make. And, 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 and again, I don't want to, you know, lay, you know, just throw blame everywhere, but based on the things I've heard, I, I do know that Fangio is the one that made the, like, obviously the decision to fire. But my understanding was the reason that Scangarelli, and again, like listeners may know this, but the reason Scangarelli was hired in the first place, my understanding is the Broncos wanted to bring K Gary Kubiak back, but then they also had Munchak on staff already. But then Kubiak mm -hmm. wanted to bring in Rick Dennison and he would have, you know, replaced Munchak. So that was a no starter. Yeah. And so Kubiak, if he couldn't get Dennison, was out. And then they still wanted a Kubiak style offense. So they went to Kyle Shanahan and got Scangarello. Interesting. And, and yeah. so like the whole, but and this touches on the idea with Peyton. And again, like 
listeners will know this. Like I've come off as really, really critical of Peyton and partly yes, because I'm not going to spare anybody when you're making decisions like this. It doesn't mean that I hate him, but like, I do believe that the process that led to his hiring was weird. Like you have an, you have a, a, a president who is on the outs. You have a GM, a former GM on the outs, and then you have a coach on the hot seat. And they're the three people that make the decision to hire the GM. It's weird. And again, like those are the kind of things that the Broncos are doing because they don't have an owner, but it goes back to the quarterback stuff. Like the timing with almost everything the Broncos have been doing since Peyton Manning retired is weird. And again, yeah. it, part of it comes from the fact that there's no owner in place. You could also make the argument. That's just the football gods, right? They gave you Peyton Manning. And now they're going to give you this for a couple of years. So I think Definitely. The but. only other thing it is tough and it's, yeah. And it's hard, right. When you're like, you're like, you're articulating where it's, Hey, we've got three guys on the hot seat. And unfortunately they're the three executives essentially that are going to then make this decision to bring in a guy. And then you bring him in. So maybe you can buy yourself a year of loyalty or, or kind of, how does that shake out? It is, it's an interesting deal. I think, I think Payne's probably wishing, Hey, these guys were all doing better. So he didn't have to like fire them. Yeah. You're oh, definitely right. And that's going to be, but there it's getting to a point in Broncos country where it's like almost un. I, I couldn't imagine a world in which we missed the playoffs and Vic is still here. No. And, and I, I, yeah, same. I think that basically if Peyton is going to try and give Fangio like do right by him, he'll hang on until like either he loses the locker room or mm-hmm. the season ends. And I think yeah. it's going to be one of those two things. And again, like we saw it with Vance Joseph before, like, they got to the San Francisco game and you could tell like the way Vaughn Miller was at the presser, like you could tell like when Vaughn is at that point where you can tell he's not necessarily in step with the coach anymore. The whole locker room is at that point. Yeah. And like, we haven't, I don't think we've gotten there yet, but it, it feels like it's coming. If they continue to slide, like they have, I hope that's not the case. Um, I don't want to end on such a bleak note. I know I'm keeping you. Uh, if, if there was one thing that you could do to fix, like, quote unquote, fix the Broncos offense. What is one thing that would make a lot of sense to try and do? For me, if there's one thing, it's getting back to what I would call the vertical stretch game, right? Where you're running those plays like Sam Ryan stuff that me and you talk about a ton, where you vertically stretch the defense and then you try to hit them in that deep over or spear. They run a ton of spear because I think that's where Teddy's his best. I don't think Teddy's his best when it's like, let me push the ball down the field to Sutton. Like, I'm not saying he's bad at it. I just think he's at his best when he's throwing those deep overs. He threw a, a ball to Hinton. I want to say it was against the Raiders on a deep over that was like, good God. Like, he fit into like the tiniest window yeah. and he was getting hit. Like, it was a great throw. So, to me, it's like I would want to see, I would want to play to those strengths. And then, like, to me, if you were to say, Tim, Hey, you have a day to fix the Broncos. My number one thing would be to redo their QB read sheet. Meaning like, I'm going to change the verbiage from you're never wrong to we throw the over unless this is absolutely wide open. Like that would be my first thing is how am I communicating? And I would completely redo their read sheet because like I see it on a lot of plays where it's like Teddy's not wrong throwing that, but like it's the easy way out. And I'm not accusing Teddy of taking it. I'm accusing Shermer of articulating it incorrectly. And that's for me, like, if you were to say, hey, you have a day to fix the offense, that's what I'm doing. I'm spending eight hours articulating where we're going with the football. And then we're going to spend one hour on the field actually doing it and reinforcing the coaching points. And, like, 
I just think it would get I would it would get better because we wouldn't leave so much out there. And I do think the Broncos are good enough to win football games as long as it's like we're maximizing the tweeners, right? Like the 50-50 ball to Sutton where he catches it one hand is, of course, badass. Like everybody loves that. But hitting an over route on boot, like those add up. They add up in those, you know, the yardages. And and to me, like maybe that's the difference for me, like the the disconnect for me of analytics and like what I'm seeing is like those are both completions. Right. But to me, it's like, okay, this to me, it's like you're moving 12 yards forward now instead of six. And Mm -hmm. I I think there's little things. And I and I and Teddy's perfectly capable because he's done it like we've seen him do it on film. So that would be the thing that I would spend the most time doing is really reinforcing some of the coaching points of like, here's how we're going to be a little bit more aggressive and hunt with the football. And like Teddy's done it. Like think about how many times I was joking around, like, why is he why is he not throwing the shallow? He's throwing the go on like third down. And now it's like we're back to the shallow and it's like there's something else open that's more high percentage than a go. So it is interesting, but I do think that's what I would spend a lot of time hammering. And I think if they do, and with Jerry coming back, I really do think this offense can get back to what it was in the first, you know, two, three weeks, which then all of a sudden puts the Broncos in a better situation. And I'm not sitting here trying to say, like, I think the Broncos are going to fight the, you know, 81% and make the playoffs. But I do think, like, let's not forget what this team could be if the offense gets on track, controls the football, and the and then Von Miller and the defense can turn free on some quarterbacks. Yep. Because they are – they're dangerous. They're not like a team where it's like – we're not like watching the Jags where it's like hopeless. Like, these guys can make a run. They just need to correct some things that, that I view highly correctable. Awesome. Uh, so, guys, again, if you – don't follow Tim on Twitter. You need to. Uh, he is at T Jenkins Elite. Uh, go follow his YouTube page as well. All things quarterback. Uh, he actually has a Teddy Bridgewater breakdown that will be in the post that this is in, so you will see it. But also, you can see it before Thursday if you go on YouTube. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, hopefully, no, man, the it. so it's not quite so bleak next time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I appreciate you, brother.